So again, good morning and welcome to Grace. You are in for a treat this morning and uh, really throughout the year. Throughout the year, I have invited a number of very special guest teachers and preachers to be with us throughout this year and you're going to be blessed by each and every one of them. And today we are blessed to have with us Dr. Ramesh Ramesh Richard. Uh, Dr. Ramesh Richard is the founder and president of REACH which stands for Ramesh Richard Evangelism and Church Health. And through this organization, Dr. Richard has traveled the world. He has spoken to audiences, which includes both just a few poor pastors in rural areas around the world, as well as gatherings of a few uh, thousand of people. And by the way, out in the commons, uh, Reach does have a kiosk with information about the ministry. I would highly encourage you before you leave this morning to stop by that kiosk and to get some more information about Reach. Dr. Richard holds a THD in systematic theology from Dallas Seminary and a PhD in philosophy from the University of Delhi. Again, he's traveled all over the world. He has spoken to thousands upon thousands of people. But I believe his most notable accomplishment is having been ordained right here at Grace Bible Church in May of 1979. Um, On a personal note, T.S. Weaver, our engaged pastor, interned at REACH before joining our staff. And uh, Ramesh, I know, and his wife Bonnie, his family, they have very, very deep roots and connections here at Grace Bible Church. I know many of you um, were out in the commons uh, reintroducing yourself to them. And so if you would please at this time, Grace Bible Church, join me in welcoming Dr. Ramesh Richard to the pulpit. When I speak uh, to believers, I open with the words I received in a welcome in Pakistan. Pakistan is a Muslim country, it's a failed state. But a man in the majority culture dress came up to me, put out his hand, crushed my fist, and he said, greetings to you in the name of the Most High One. And when you're in Pakistan, you do not know who is the Most High One. <laughs> I waited it out, and he said, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, sisters and brothers here at Grace Bible Church, greetings to you in the name of the Most High One, the Lord Jesus Christ. The sturdiness of this congregation is significant. In the first service, which is chronologically probably more connected to me, and culturally the second service is more connected to me, uh, it was good to see so many from our past here. And I need to reminisce for a moment. Uh, this is the congregation where I brought my new bride 46 years ago. Uh, I had started at Dallas Seminary for a semester, and then we got married. It was the place from which uh, uh, we were sent to India. We still remember friends who met us at the airport and gave us a friendship quilt, which I used as late as last night. Uh, And then, of course, Pastor Jay's mentioned my ordination exam. Uh, Dr. Harold Hona, these are all great ones in history, and Dr. Stan Toussaint were on my ordination committee and uh, they asked me in the exam, so my favorite part of scripture, I said, the parables. It says, tell us one. I said, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the thorns, and the ravens came and fed him for 40 days and 40 nights. 
And, uh, and finally, his hair was so long, he went into Jericho, got caught on a branch, and his wife came and cut it off. And, and as he saw Queen Jezebel up there, she, he said, throw her down, and they threw her down. He said, throw her down some more, and they threw her down some more. And of her remains were f- uh, seven baskets full. Uh, <laughs> And whose wife will she be in the resurrection? <laughs> so they passed me. <laughs> and uh, I have survived the last 40-some years with uh, that kind of uh, affirmation. But in 1985, during a transition at the church here at Grace Bible, uh, I had the privilege of being here for about five or six weeks. And Bonnie and I had come back and uh, preached there were some of the first servers who were here during 1985. That's back in the 1900s. You, you guys remember that? So uh, I, we have a deep, deep connection here. But the deepest of them all is when I returned to teach at Dallas Seminary in 1987. And after a bit of uh, conversation, Dallas Seminary said they'll give me the time to ministry internationally but not the resources. And basically, six businessmen here from Grace Bible Church said, we'll underwrite one trip apiece every year. And that's how we began the ministry of reach, to undergird the global proclamation calling and gifting that he had placed on my heart. And for the last 35 years or so, we've been on that route. And so I want to thank Grace for sending me all across the world. Your fingerprints are on very, very large numbers of people. I was telling the first service that there are two convictions which drive me. The evangelism piece says that the gospel is not good news if it gets to anybody too late. It really is not good news. It's too late. The other one is on the training side, the church health side, which says that pastoral health affects church health and church health affects societal health. If the pastor is healthier, the churches and congregations are healthier, and, and therefore it spills over into businesses and professions and education and uh, entertainment and, and all kinds of other uh, social communities which you serve. So thank you for the privilege of being back after many decades. Thank you, Pastor Jace, for this. And I asked T.S. what I should speak about. He said about 35 minutes. And I'm going to do the, the, the best that I can. Um, yeah, as Pastor Jace mentioned, we have an outreach table at the back. Uh, we're in the middle of a 20-year human capital campaign to reduce the deficit of the trained by 30 to 50%. Only 10% of all pastors in the world are trained for pastoral ministry. How many of you would get on a plane where the pilot has not been trained? How many of you go to a doctor where the doctor's not been trained? And yet today, congregations all over the world are meeting in Jesus' name, but the one who's serving them as shepherds is not trained. Uh, please help yourself to that material. You might find some, some connections. The other thing, T.S. Weaver wanted to let me know is what I should wear. And uh, I was not long ago in, in a major church in the first service, they told me I could wear a jacket and tie. The second service, they said I could take off my tie. The third service, they said I could take off my jacket. I didn't uh, know if there were fourth and fifth services. It would have been very, very difficult. But I, I did bring my necktie just to be approved. We're good to see in the second service of, of Grace Bible Church. 
so many friends are here uh, because they put the word out, and thank you for being here. Good friends are like broken elevators. They never let you down. And so they've come very graciously to be here. My uh, comments this morning, uh, the theme is storyboarding the harvest. So if you have a Bible accessible to a very familiar passage, and this bears from the guidance that I've received from your pastoral leaders as to what I should speak about, uh, we go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to work through this passage from verse 35 on, but let me start with that first hinge verse. This is a Galilean movement moving to the cross of our Lord Jesus, which we celebrated, acknowledged as late as um, the month of April. Matthew 9, 35, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages as a comprehensive all, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, that he himself, the king, was there. The king and the kingdom were in one person, one place. And healing not many kinds of diseases, but every kind of disease, and healing every kind of sickness. Not few, but all. That's the setup for storyboarding the harvest. The two words there I want you to notice, the word harvest, this is the huge harvest passage of the Bible. It's the most rigorous term in the Old Testament of common labor. Anybody who's been in farming, you work, you uh, the labor, but you don't know what the future holds. You don't know what the conditions are going to be, what the weather will turn out to be, but you are faithfully every year working enough to gain the harvest. The word harvest today, of course, is used for things like rainwater harvesting, as well as some cancer cell therapy harvesting. But in the Old Testament, it was just good agriculture metaphor for work. The other word is the word storyboarding. It goes back all the way to Leonardo da Vinci, the, the Italian genius. Uh, it was captured by Walt Disney when he was building that large people trap operated by a mouse in Orlando. It used to be a swamp. Sometimes they call it end view planning, compression planning. Well, you start at the very, very end as to what your vision should be, look at the present, and you map out steps. If conditions are not uncertain, and you allow for some frameworks and flexibility to get from the present to the future. I'm going to process this passage from a compression planning, end view planning, storyboarding concept. Because the present is where Jesus sees them, the future is where humanity is going to be in terms of his vision. It is a powerful, meaningful, fruitful passage which captures everybody's imagination here. The first word in verse 36 is seeing. Seeing is not just peripheral awareness, where you look at a piece of a news item and go on. Someone said, 
if you look at the business section of your news feeds, you're money-minded. If you look at the sports section of your news feeds, you're sports-minded. If you look at the front headlines, you lose whatever mind you once had. Seeing is not just awareness. It's a retinal awareness actionable system that you were never aware of before, and suddenly you become aware of a man not long ago picked me up at the seminary in his highly tight, ground-hugging Lotus LEs. I did not know about the make, let alone the car. To get into the car, I just go through all kinds of yoga, you know, to, to, to get in there. And he said, Ramesh, there are about 10 of these cars in the city. I didn't know about Lotus Elises, but since then I think I've counted five of the 10. I suddenly became aware of what is happening. Now that's the meaning of the word seeing. And so in end view planning, you have some big cards. In storyboarding, you have some transitional cards. I'm going to put them up on the screen for you. At the far end, you have the harvest vision, the finale. The next five by seven in the middle is the harvest force, the capacity. The front end of the five by sevens is the burden that we must carry, the harvest field. But between the harvest finale and the harvest force, you have some action. And between the harvest force and the harvest field, you have capacity building, strategy creating, not capacity, but in strategy creating. And before the harvest field, you have the need. What Matthew does is to use a literary tactic in narratives. And unless something happens in a series, nothing else will happen. So the very first word in this narrative literature is the word seeing. For if seeing had not happened, nothing else would have happened. I'm going to process this passage in about three movements, in each with two subsections. In basic narrative treatment of this amazing passage, perhaps common to you, but may not have been expounded to you prior. First, seeing. It says, unless you see, you will not sympathize with a wasted humanity. Unless you see, you won't sympathize with a wasted humanity. Verse 36, and seeing the what? Hello? Okay, that's a poor translation. Mine says people as well. The reason is that the translator could not uh, visually engage with what, in fact, was the case that the Lord Jesus faced. In the old translation, it says, seeing the multitudes. That's what it actually not a general people stuff, seeing the multitudes, numbers, not faceless, soulless numbers, but numbers which come with names. They say a pollster asked for how many was in, were in the uh, household and, and the mother went on to 
Tell them all the names here. There's John and Jimmy and Mary and Martha. And the poster said, no, 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 just tell me the number. And the mother said, their names before their number. Let's get through the names first. Sheer multitudes. About 10 days ago, the 14th, the most populous, populous country in the world changed. Last November, 15th of 2022, the world crossed the 8 billion people mark. That's 8,000 million people mark. Huge number. Just over a billion minutes have passed from the Lord Jesus till now, and a little over 2 billion minutes from Moses, the Old Testament character till now. Just people, people, people. About a month ago, Bonnie picked me up at the airport, and I said, where are all the people? I thought it was a holiday, perhaps, but I just returned from one of the densest parts in the world where the density of population is 13 people per square meter. Not they're all in the square meter, they have to high-rise buildings. Dhaka, Bangladesh, for example, is the biggest, densest city in the world. Just people. Jesus seeing the multitudes. If you open the backside of my chest, you'll find the phrase large numbers, not of people, but of individuals. Not generic people, just individuals, just like each of us here. Equally valuable, with equal dignity, God has raised, created, but seeing us all, he goes beyond a numerical multitudinal statement to a spiritual declaration which moved his bowels. I know your translation, my translation has sanitized it. It says he felt compassion. It's a good Christmas, uh, Christian virtue, compassion. <laughs> But the old English actually literally said bowels. He had to run to the restroom, washroom. I'll tell you why in a moment, a little later on. Why was he moved with compassion? Because they were what? Distressed and downcast. Or as the NIV says, harassed and helpless. Or as the commentator says, skin torn and raw. They're all around us, next door, inside our families. Uh, I'm going to call this global mood synchronized pessimism. The pandemic is not fully away. At any time, it can be eruptive. About 7 million people who were killed, both between my homeland here and my birthland, Recently met a family who lost 25 family members to COVID. And perhaps there have been losses here. After the first service, one of my friends from 30, 40 years ago and said, it was the hardest year of my life. My wife graduated. There's loss of health, loss of relationships, loss of financial talent, uh, resources. We don't know what the next <laughs> uh, election cycle is going to bring. They say two-thirds of all dollar bills have been printed in the last 15 years. 
Will there be a nuclear war of some madman where they just press one button to destroy the human race? Our boys right now are in Sudan. These two generals are fighting for their identity and existence. And everywhere there is sadness. Sheep without a shepherd is what he calls them. What a horrible uh, description of the human race. He could have called us something else. Dogs, maybe? Oh, horses? Some time ago, I was in Mongolia. 57 hours it took me to get there. Two young men in the dark in a primitive airport met and said, Ramesh, uh, would you consider not canceling any of the appointments that we've gotten for you? Over the next six days, 29 speaking engagements. I said, with God's grace, we'll do it. And at every one of those events, from the Communist Women's Party to the uh, medical uh, personnel, their number one question at the end of every talk, they didn't know first you had to have worship, then you'd have announcements and take the offering. So this open-ended, they had access to the speaker. The first question, what about those? What about my father, my grandfather, who did not hear about Jesus? They have a joke in Mongolia. They say our population is 25 million. You can hardly see people. There's only two and a half million people in a huge desert area. But they have 10 pasture animals for each person. So they call it 25 million. They told me that in Mongolia they have horse races, Genghis Khan, remember? And they have dog races, but they do not have sheep races. Even though they've got a lot of pasture animals. Why? Because sheep cannot navigate. Horses can follow direction and be taken across race tracks. And dogs have greyhound races, but sheep cannot navigate. That's the condition of the human race that the Lord Jesus says characterizes us. Sheep. Uh, they're in our families, they're next door. No shepherd. They want to be their own shepherd. So I want us to see the need numerically as well as spiritually. This is a time of huge opportunity. The Lord has raised a, uh, an intensity of fervor. People know that there's a madness going around the world. It's a nihilism and a pessimism and a, no hope. Everybody's upset. Every time you turn on the news, just another thing which blows your mind. The world is backwards. And upside down. Sheep without a shepherd. He wants you to see the need, but also feel the burden. Feel the burden. In New York, an ophthalmologist said, 
There's a high incidence of short-sightedness in the city because there are too many people and too many tall buildings. Now, the only way they can get over it is if they could look up and look far. He advised people to get out of the city, get some correction happening in natural ways. And it is possible in a situation that is so wholesome and positive like Grace Bible Church that we can develop an incidence of short-sightedness. You've got to look up and look far, but you've got to get out to look up and look far. See the need, feel the burden. Unless you see, you won't sympathize with the waste of humanity. Now comes the second movement. Unless you see, you won't strategize. You won't strategize for a wasting harvest. Strategy, I know there are many business leaders sitting in front of me right now. You take into account opportunities and threats. In addition to whatever strengths and weaknesses you have constitutionally, personally, and organizationally and business-wise. I want you to see how the Lord Jesus frames strategy. Verse 37, then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is few, but the workers are plenty. You guys see that? I'm checking out to see if Grace Bible Church has the Bible in there, okay? Even though it's on airplane mode. The harvest is what? Plentiful. That is not a 21st century statement. This has always been the case. The harvest is plentiful. And the laborers are few. Last Sunday I was speaking in Central America. Another vibrant church like yours. They've got a philosophy of ministry that uh, anybody who comes to the church in a service like this, they have to be connected to what they call Casa de Luz, lighthouses. And they love on these visitors. Visitors notice that this is a group of hospitality, no agenda, simply caring. And then they have harvest moments. So last Monday night, 10 believers brought 60 non-pre-Christ friends and family. That was an exquisite event, neutral place, nice food. The thing was, they had to close down reservations five days before the event because there's so much interest. The harvest is plenty. And after the talk that evening, we saw dozens who embraced a shepherd because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That afternoon, I had had a Nicodemus moment. A 74-year-old urologist, one of two people in the country who could do a renal transfer, transplant kidney, wanted to see me at 3.30. I said I can get there at 4, and then I found out he had been waiting for me since 3 o'clock. He just gushed out with his whole life story. 
At the end of it, we sat next to each other, held his hands. I read John 1.12. He said, I've never seen this before. I've never seen this before. And then to John 5.24, the assurance of salvation. But between John 1.12 and John 5.24, we led him. I led him in a prayer of trust. The prayer does not save, but trust in Jesus is the human condition by which God saves. And when he prayed, God, you know me. I violated your expectations. This 74-year-old man is crying aloud. Then he catches himself. Then he says, in response and rehearsal of the prayer, thank you for sending your son for me. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers is a good word. We are ordinary common laborers. By salvation, we are blue-blooded royalty. But by work, we are blue-collared laborers. All of us ordinary. All of us reaching into the next person around us. I'm calling the world for every believer once a year to pray, focus, and reach one pre-Christ family member and family, just one. So in 2023, you still have some time. Pray for just one person and let God orchestrate the opportunity by which you can be a laborer. That's part of his strategy. It's not the professionals of a seminary or a missionary society. The early church, the fastest growing time in the history of the church, was when just ordinary people, men and women, were witnesses. That's what he had said. You'll be my witnesses. They planted the gospel. Every client they saw, every neighbor they ran across, there were just a few people. And it began to grow so that today, 2,000 years later, the church is in every single political entity. Not just incrementally, but exponentially. Because ordinary Christians said, I'll be part of the labor force. Frame the strategy, increase the capacity. How? Look at verse 38. Therefore, because harvests plenty, laborers few, workers are few, therefore, here's how you increase the capacity. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into whose harvest? Grace Bible's harvest? Dallas Summary's harvest? Reach's harvest? His harvest. It is his story. It is his initiative. It is his field. And he's the Lord, the owner of the harvest. They send her into the harvest. He will propel us. He will even compel us, impel us. The result of this morning, I'm trusting that there will be some saying, yeah, for a long time I've been absent without leave in the worker force. Pray. 
That's the first thing he asks you to do, but not the last thing you get to do. I saw those announcements for the gospel conversations training. I want to encourage you with taking it. It's the most spiritual, natural way of the harvest. And if you want to put an evening together, I'll come back and speak to that group. But at least 50% pre-Christ, okay? Now, unfortunately, there's a chapter break here between 9.38 and 10.1. Most breaks are good. This one seems like it's flowing from the previous segment. Unless you see, you won't sympathize. Unless you see, you won't strategize. Unless you see, you will not seize the harvest opportunity for humanity's eternity. The same people he said pray, verse 1, he summons, calls. He points, he directs. So there's a little danger if you pray. You might be the means by which God says, I want to fulfill this harvest. In verse 5 of chapter 10, there's a limitation geographically and ethnically to the people, the lost people of the house of Israel. I don't know if you're aware, there used to be a historic preacher here by the name of Dwight Pentecost. You should probably listen to him. But uh, theologically and strategically, people of Israel were the first focus. And he would make a case that Israel did not accept the king. The gospel of the kingdom. The king offered the kingdom in himself. He was in their midst, and they missed it. And so the geography and the scope goes beyond as early as 21. The field is the world. And then after the resurrection, disciple making of the nations of the world. That's where we fit in. I don't know how many ethnically uh, heritage Jewish people are in this audience. Very few, if any. That's how you got in. That's how I got in. We want to return the favor to others. You don't only frame the strategy, increase the capacity. He implements the action to ordinary people like you and me. To reach into other ordinary people like you and me. We seize That's the way to head on to the vision, to reach the vision. Harvest theology in the book of Matthew's Theology of the Harvest has two dimensions. One has to do with the harvest of salvation. That's what he's here. When you offer them Jesus, the shepherd has come into their lives. The, the greatest need right now is for a shepherd in everybody's life who's Savior and then shepherds them into the rest of the confusion and the difficulties and the stupidity of our own choices. That's one dimension of the theology of Matthew in the book of Harvest. There's another part of the theology in this book of the harvest. is found in Matthew 13, where at the end of time, the Lord Jesus says, He will send His harvest angels, not in salvation, 
but in judgment. After the first service, an old friend came to me, and all of us are officially older now, said, I want to see them all in heaven. My daughter married an Indian man, and we had so many of them at the party. I said, I want to see them. I said, let's do something about it, both of us, okay? If we don't bring them into salvation now, they get into another harvest of judgment later. Sobering. Unless you see, you one sees. Humanity's eternity. The seeing is not just a general awareness of the lostness of the human race. And the numbers and the spiritual plight. It is an intentional documenting of whom you can pray for and whether you would be the means by which the harvest is worked and reaped. Not long ago, a 74-year-old grandmother not far from here was wheeled into heart surgery. 25 years prior, she lost her sight. At the age of 49, she could not see her family grow up, grandkids born. The family waited, and they said Joyce was doing reasonably well. The next day, the doctor came out to the family and said, I think I can make an exception here because it's so special. Uh, the family is invited into the ICU. Joyce was all hooked up, all the machines making their soft noises. But with her loudest whisper of a voice, she said to her family, I can see, I can see, I can see. Somehow when the heart was corrected, she was able to see. It might not be a sheer sight problem. It might be a deep heart problem. My dear Grace, would you pray with me? Father, I know that moving a congregation of individuals who love you, have walked with you for the longest time, who uh, are growing in grace, Uh, from a sheer knowledge of sight to a deep-hearted moistening and movement towards reaching into people's lives. I pray that you bless this congregation for all that she has been but into the future, for what she's going to be. That her original charter, the very reason uh, she was uh, 
founded in this area of far north Dallas to herald the Bible, to hold on to truth and bring people to grace, only available and offered in the Lord Jesus, uh, will be recaptured. and implemented. I thank you for leadership. Thank you that there's so much multi-generational history, but also innovation and delivery. I ask that you'll guide them as a congregation. O shepherd of Israel, shepherd of each person, the shepherd of Grace Bible Church. And to the Lord Jesus, our chief shepherd, the good shepherd, I ask these things. Amen.